let's uh, read from Matthew's Gospel, if you turn to that, from Matthew chapter 27, verse 62, to chapter 28, verse 15. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat in it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come. And see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread amongst the Jews to this day. Amen. And may God bless to us this reading. Matthew chapter 28, we'll read 16 to um, verse 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There are moments in human history where a single event can spark off a radical worldwide movement. So one thinks of Rosa Parks' simple refusal to move to the back of the bus and and how that moment of defiance helped spark the movement for racial harmony in America. Or 500 years ago, when a rebellious young Catholic monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed his 95-point thesis to the cathedral door in Wittenberg and sparked off 
the Reformation movement which would shape the face of Western Europe in years to come. Great movements are often driven by great singular events. Well, there is no greater movement in human history than the one we see beginning here in Matthew 28. This is a movement that would not be confined to a particular people group. This is a movement that would not be confined to a particular nationality. This is a movement that would not be confined to a particular era of time. A movement of joy and worship that would unite people from vastly different backgrounds that we unite people from different nationalities together as it proclaims to the world eternal salvation. And this movement was driven by one great singular event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. What we are reading of here at the end of Matthew's gospel is the beginning of the church of Jesus. And everything that the church stands for, everything that the church is about, is fueled by the most amazing fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. What Matthew wants us to see from this chapter, this chapter is why the resurrection of Jesus is so amazing and how it could spark such a movement. He wants us to here at Chalmers to get on board with this movement, to become part of the, the great joy of sharing the message of Easter. Now, we're going to look just at these final four verses here, the, uh, what is famously known as the Great Commission of Jesus. And in these final four verses, we see what for Matthew were the three big implications of Easter, of the resurrection of Jesus. Firstly, it proves that Jesus is the authoritative king of all the world. Secondly, it gives us good news to proclaim to all the world. And thirdly, it assures us that Jesus is with us until the very end of the world. Now, I have that outline there on your service sheet, which you should have received as you came in through the door, just to help you as we navigate through this amazing speech. Firstly, then, it proves that Jesus is the authoritative king of all the world. Have a read of verse 16. When the 11 disciples went to Galilee, um, that was a Gentile region. It's very significant that this speech is given there. We'll see why later to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We've been looking through Matthew's gospel um, here at Chalmers Church, and one of the things that we've been seeing that Matthew is constantly trying to do in his gospel is to convince us that Jesus is the long-promised king who's come to save the world. All throughout his gospel, that is what Matthew is trying to show us. And here is the final verification of that great truth. This is the, the coronation of Jesus. I mean, you could not get more concrete evidence than the resurrection of Jesus. But what's really surprising when you read Matthew's gospel uh, and when you read the other gospels is how no one expected that this would happen. Even after Jesus had told his closest followers, the 11 disciples, that, that three days after his death, he was going to rise from the grave, they did not expect it. And you can see that here in Matthew 28. They're not standing outside the tomb waiting for Jesus to come back to life. And even when the resurrected Christ is right in front of their very eyes, what does Matthew tell us the response was for some of them? Verse 17, 
They doubted. Why? Why would you include that little detail? I mean, these guys are the founders of the church. Why would you include that little detail if you were making this up? The reason you include it is because it happened. Matthew was there. These guys took convincing. Eventually, they all worshipped Jesus. But they took convincing. They did not believe any more than we do that dead people come back to life. Let's not make the mistake of of chronological snobbery, as C.S. Lewis calls it, thinking that these are kind of backward people who just believe anything. They did not expect this to happen. And they worshipped. And it's incredible because if any of you here know your ancient history, you would know that if there was one people group in the ancient world that would never have worshipped a man as God, it would have been the ancient Jews. If there was one people group that would never have done that, it would have been the ancient Jews. But here we see them worshipping this man Jesus. And almost overnight, hundreds of people Come to worship this man Jesus as God. Why? Because of the resurrection. It was the most compelling evidence. It was God's stamp of authenticity to the world to declare to the world that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the King of nations and He is the Lord of all. Here we have in Matthew 28, God in the flesh. And that is why Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Because I live, because I have defeated death, I want you all to know that I have complete authority. Now that is an immense statement. Don't read over that. That is an immense statement. That means that everything in all creation is under the sovereign control of King Jesus. He rules the wind. He rules the waves. He governs everything from subatomic particles to nebulas and galaxies. He owns it all. He is in charge of it all. He governs it all. He controls it all. As the old Dutch Prime Minister Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. All other rulers pale into insignificance with this king. They are finite, they are frail, they are temporal, they are like dust. But here is the infinite, eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good, all-loving, king above all kings, lord above all lords. He commands all the armies of heavens with legions of angels at his call. He is sovereign over absolutely everything, even over evil itself, sin, chaos, and even death. They have to submit to the authority of this king, the death conqueror. And therefore, this is what the message of Easter means for you and for me today. The risen Christ is your king, and he has absolute authority over you and over every single aspect of your life. Absolute authority over every single aspect of your life, over your body, over what you say, over what you think. He is king, and he has absolute authority over you. Now, does that sound like good news? 
Because for some people, that might not sound like such good news. In fact, in Matthew chapter, um, at the end of chapter 27 through to what we just read in chapter 28, verse 15, there tends to be two responses to this declaration of authority, rejection or rejoicing. Notice that you have these religious leaders at the end of Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew's gospel, we've seen them before. They are constantly opposed to Jesus. Even after his death, which they think that they have orchestrated, they are afraid that people will say that he has risen. So they set up a guard and they put a seal over the tomb to stop anyone stealing Jesus' body and saying that he has risen. But notice what happens after these angels appear to these poor guards. Verse 4. Oh, I love the irony here. Matthew, he's such a great writer. He uses a lot of irony in these last chapters. The guards who are alive become like one who is dead. And the one who is dead is alive. As if a guard and a seal would stop this. And when these guards go and tell the religious leaders what happens, the religious leaders pay off the guards. They bribe them to come up with this story about the disciples coming and stealing the body. And Matthew interestingly tells us that that was a story that um, was spread to this day, showing that Matthew wrote this at the time when many of these people were still alive. Even in the face of irrefutable fact they would rather deny the authority of Jesus than accept it. Why? Because it's not about facts or evidence. It's about who I want to be in charge of me. They don't like having someone who claims total authority over every aspect of their lives because they serve only themselves. They're in charge, not him. Why do the guards not worship Jesus like the disciples? They know that Jesus has risen from the grave. Why do they not worship him? Because they love money. Remember Jesus teaching in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The claims of Jesus are not often rejected because people have seen them and seen a lack of evidence. This is about authority. Now, for some people, they need to see more evidence. They, they do want to investigate the claims and look at the evidence. And if that's you, there's plenty of resources I would happily point you in the direction of at the end of this service. But the vast majority of people will reject this because it's too hard. G.K. Chesterton once said, The problem with the Christian ideal is not that it has been tried and found wanting, but that it has been found difficult and left untried. The idea of worship seems to us to be an affront to our freedom that we should worship this great king instead of ourselves. But here's the irony. We are all worshipers here. We love to worship. We love to serve something. As Bob Dylan once sang, you're going to have to serve somebody Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. These guards would rather serve money than God. And we might rather serve or worship our own self-interest, ourselves, our jobs, our family, our social standing. And you can reject Jesus' authority But no matter what, no matter who you are, if you reject him as king, then you will put something else in his place which will govern your life. 
And that is devastating for two reasons. Firstly, it's treason of the worst kind. To reject the king of the universe has eternal consequences. Jesus is our king, whether we want him to be or not. But secondly, you will become a slave to that thing you worship because it is not big enough to fill the hole that Jesus can fill. He is the one that we are made to worship. True joy and true freedom can only come from submitting to the authority of the one who is truly joyful and truly free. And that's the other response we see to Jesus um, in the run-up to the, the Great Commission. Look at the reaction that the resurrection is kind of sandwiched in between these, this conspiracy theory. Look at what we see from these faithful women in verse 8. They departed from the tomb with fear. You would too if you expected to see someone dead and there was an angel there. They departed with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Why is there such joy in worshipping the risen Lord Jesus? Why is there such overwhelming joy in saying, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my God. Jesus is my Lord. It's because that's exactly who he is. And you are where you're meant to be. The whole purpose of Jesus' death in Matthew's gospel, we've been seeing this as we've been looking through it. The whole purpose of his death, why he came, was to bring about the forgiveness of sins, to take the punishment that we deserve from God for all our wrongdoing. And Jesus, as the perfect God-man, has authority to be punished in our place. He has the authority to lay down his life, and therefore he has the authority to forgive us of every single sin that we have or will commit. He has authority to bring that about. He has authority to end the sting of death, to destroy the evil in our lives without destroying us. And he has authority to bring us back to God for all eternity. See, to know this Savior is to know the unending and unyielding mercy of a great God. To bow at his feet is not forceful submission to a tyrant. It's joyful worship to the one who deserves worship. This is the God I am made for. This is the freedom of knowing that my life is in the hands of the one who rules and governs all things. This is the joy of knowing that I am eternally loved, eternally forgiven, and not even death itself will be able to take me from his hands. The resurrection is incredible. It marks the solution that God himself has provided to this broken world. It's the era of new beginnings, of joyful worship, and at last the gates of heaven have been opened to a rebellious humanity. This is huge. That's why there's so much joy in worship in this chapter. And that leads on to the second point. What's the second implication of the resurrection? It gives us good news to proclaim to the world. Notice that verse 19 says, go therefore. As a preacher, you're always asking, what is the therefore, therefore? So, because I am the king of all the nations, Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is what Jesus does. 
whenever he calls you into himself. And when you see who he is, and like this woman, you just want to bow down and worship and hold on to him. Whenever he calls you in, it's always so he can send you out again. Always. He calls you in so that he can send you out. See that with the woman at the tomb. They see the angel and he says, the angel says to them, go and tell. They see Jesus and they're overwhelmed with joy and they just want to hold on to him. But Jesus says, go and tell. Make disciples. That is the primary calling of the church and the primary calling of every individual Christian. How do we do that? Two ways, baptizing and teaching. Now, baptizing, we don't do that as individuals. That is the job of the local church and church leaders to baptize. Um, So please don't hang around the river looking to dunk someone uh, who has professed faith in Christ. Um, But what does that mean? Um, It means that Jesus is referring to the response that someone has when they, or the action that someone takes when they first respond to the gospel of Jesus. See, baptism was a symbol that I have been cleansed from all sin and Jesus is my Lord. It's a declaration to the world that I follow Jesus. And so the command to go and baptize is fundamentally a command to go and tell people about the gospel so that they can be baptized. And if everything that we've been saying here about Jesus is true, then verse 19 makes perfect sense. Salvation for the world, the forgiveness of sins, the restoration of humanity. This is what the resurrected king is holding out to the world. Why on earth would we keep silent about that? I have a friend, I've often heard others say this, who says, said this to me about Christianity. Well, it's okay to believe what you want, which is very kind of him to tell me that, Um, just as long as you don't try and tell others that they should believe it. may have heard that. It's okay to believe what you want, just as long as you don't try and tell others that they should believe it. But do you see, when someone says that, they're essentially saying, it's not okay for you to believe what you want. Because if you believe the gospel, you believe that Jesus is the only way that humanity can be saved, of course you're going to want to tell people that. Unless we have no heart. If I discovered a cure for cancer, amazing that would be. Imagine I just kept that to myself if there was people ridden with cancer. I just kept it to myself for fear of offending anyone. I would never do that. I would never keep that to myself. No matter what people thought, I would tell because that would be good news. Well, what we have in Jesus is infinitely greater than a cure for cancer. Infinitely greater. Here is eternal salvation that has been offered to a world that is under the judgment of God. So, Baptize, tell them about Jesus so that they can be baptized. But the second aspect of disciple making is teaching. Don't miss this, this is really key. Teach them to observe everything that I have commanded to you. This is not some kind of hit and run evangelism where you tell people about Jesus, they respond, and then you move on. That's not what making disciples means. After someone has professed faith in the risen Lord, you don't just leave them, but you teach them and you keep on teaching them. Mission is not about getting people to make decisions. It's about people becoming disciples. It's not decision making, it's disciple making. So we must work with each other 
to learn more about Christ. I mean, he's an infinite treasure of joy and wisdom that we can never tire of learning of. So this is your calling. If you're here this morning as a Christian, this is the calling and the command of the resurrected Lord Jesus to you. If people don't know Jesus, tell them about Jesus. If people do know Jesus, tell them about Jesus. Teach them to obey Jesus. There's never a person that we cannot talk to about Jesus. And let's not miss the corporate nature of this. The word for you that is used in verse 20 is um, plural. We don't really have it in English, a plural for you, unless you're from Dundee, yous. I'm with yous is what Jesus says at the very end of this. This is for the church. It's the local church that baptizes. It's the local church. The primary way which God teaches us to obey Christ is through the preaching of his word in the local church. And that's why I think that the Great Commission is fundamentally a call to plant churches across the world. That's why I love our mission partners. Robin prayed for them here in Chalmers. It's great when you read their prayer updates because it's not just opportunities for them that they're looking for to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus, but what they are looking for is opportunities to raise up leaders who can teach Christians how to obey Jesus. It's great. That is the great commission. And look at the immensity of it. Who's it for? What does Jesus say? All the nations. That means that churches that proclaim the resurrected Jesus are to be planted in 196 countries to over 7,000 different languages to over 7 billion people. Oh, how we need to think bigger about mission. We, we so often just want to stay here, don't we? We want to feed our comforts, to get the nice house the nice family, and the respectable career. And there's nothing wrong with that. Praise God if you do have that. But there's something profoundly wrong if as a follower of Jesus, that's your main priority in life. Oh, if we had a heart for the lost, like Jesus did. If we had a heart for the nations, that we would be willing to sacrifice comforts to let the nations know this king. And I pray that maybe for some of you this Easter will be a catalyst for you to, to think about short-term mission, to think about serving God in another country. Maybe not all of us, most of us will stay here. Not all of us will go abroad. God has placed plenty of people in our lives right out here on our doorstep who do not know Jesus, and he's placed plenty of people who do know Jesus but need to learn how to obey him. But if we aren't going to the nations, we must pray for the nations. Pray for our mission partners. Send them encouraging emails telling them that you're praying for them. Pray for church planters. Pray for gospel leaders who can teach people what it looks like to obey Jesus. Why not do this when you're doing your quiet time, spending time reading God's Word? As I hope we are. Log on to www.operationworld.com. You see a profile for each country and what you can pray for them every day. Give your money to global mission. The resurrection's huge. It's huge. It's not just about me and my own personal relationship with Christ. It's about the entire world. God's heart is for the nations. And if we follow him, we must share that passion. 
thirdly and finally, and, and much more briefly, we'll close with this. The third implication of the resurrection is that it assures us that Jesus is with us always until the very end of the world. Verse 20b. It's the most amazing thing about this commission. Behold, I am with you always. And Jesus could have stopped there, but he doesn't because he wants us to really get it, even to the very end of the age. My brothers and sisters, is there any sweeter promise given in the Bible than that? Let me ask you, and it's the question I ask me, if the message of the resurrected Christ is so big and so important, if it is the offer of salvation to a world that is heading to an eternity without God, why do we find it so hard to teach and to tell others about Christ? Some of you may know that uh, my wife and I are going to be involved in planting a church in a housing scheme in Dundee. Um, we were through there this week, and I was struck down by how, um, well, not struck down, but I was struck by how ridiculous and impossible the task was. There's no gospel witness there. These people aren't going to joyfully accept us as we come in seek to talk about Christ. It just seems so ridiculous. Praise God we had, I had to look at this because it really helped me and it showed me my heart. And the reason I thought that, and the, re- the reason I think many of us don't do evangelism, or maybe we doubt it, it's not, be- it's not about being ill-equipped or it's not about lacking the gifts to speak well and articulately. It'd be good to, to use that as an excuse maybe, but I-, I think the reason that we don't often do this or we struggle is because we don't really trust Jesus. We say it with our mouths, yeah, but do we really in our heart of hearts trust Jesus that, that he can open people's eyes to see their need to be saved, that he is with us, with us, helping us in these seemingly impossible tasks. Do we really believe that? Look, mission is not Jesus saying, right, I've done my part. He's not saying to the, these 11 disciples, right, boys, I've done my bit. Now on you go uh, and you go tell the world uh, and, and I'll see you when you get here. He doesn't leave us, and he won't, and he can't, because it's not the disciples' mission, it's not Chalmers Church mission, it's not my mission, it is the mission of Jesus. It still is his mission, and he will see it through to the very end. He's not with us in the sense that when you you read a letter from someone who's passed away, you, you feel that they're kind of still with you. He's not with us in that sense. It's greater than that because he has not passed away. He is alive now. He is with us. He is here by his spirit. He is with us on our mission. The presence of Christ is always, always with us. How do I get that reality um, from my brain into my heart? Read his word. That's how you know he's there. Spend time with his people. Remember earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I will be also. And do it. His mission. Just do it. And that will become more of a reality. And it will not fail. Look at Matthew. Look at Matthew 28. If it seemed hopeless going into Charleston, if that message seemed frail and like it could never work, 
This is the great hope we have because it goes forward in the power of the resurrected Lord. Look at the mission that Jesus gives the disciples in Matthew 28. That's even more ridiculous. You 11 mostly uneducated men, no one cares about you from this backwater part of the Roman Empire that that no one would care about. I want you to go out to a world that is in rebellion against God and get them to worship me, King Jesus, and be saved. To go out to all the nations. It is crazy. And did it work? Well, look around you and ask, did it work? Because here we are, 2,000 years later, thousands and thousands of miles away from Galilee where this event was sparked celebrating this event that they proclaimed. And millions, if not billions of people across the world this very Sunday are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Mission works because it is Jesus' mission. And if you want to be part of this, tell people, trust Christ. Not everyone will respond with rejoicing. Some will reject. But what does that matter? What does it matter when some can rejoice? This is good news. And these 11 men, you know that all of them who started this movement, all of them died for it. They died proclaiming this. They knew it was worth dying for because they knew with certainty that their king had conquered death. And as the church has spread across the nations, it has never done so easily, but it has done so through pain and through hardships and through suffering and through tears. But it will not stop the power of the risen Lord. You can put a guard and a seal in front of his tomb, but it will not stop the power of the risen Lord. Never. If his church is bombed in Egypt, it will not stop this mission. If his church is suffering the heart of famine in East Africa, it will not stop this mission. If his church faces ridicule and humiliation in Western Europe, it will not stop this mission because this mission goes forth with all the power and all the authority of the King of Kings. And he is the one who holds our lives in his hands, who loves us infinitely, who will raise us to new life. And as our brothers and sisters in Egypt are gathering to celebrate this Easter through tears and through suffering at the fact that they have lost people, they will say along with what the church has said through all the ages, what the church has said with the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall famine or danger or nakedness or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And with you always, says Jesus, we are never never alone, even when sometimes mission feels so isolating. Right up until the end of time, nothing will stop this, going, this good news going to the ends of the earth. And Easter, Easter is his call for us to be part of this great world-changing movement. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ has given to his church. Father, we are aware that just out our doorstep are thousands of people who don't know Christ. We want them to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We want to teach them 
how to obey Jesus. Father, may our mission of making disciples be the thing that controls and governs every aspect of our church and every aspect of our lives. We are here to make disciples. Please, Lord, give us that joy that we need to do this, the joy of the resurrection, the joy of knowing that our King has conquered death, that He has opened up the gates of heaven to us. Give us the worship and the joy that these women had, that these disciples had as they went out to the ends of the earth to proclaim this good news. Father, give us your heart. And as we do it, Father, we do not do it out of fear or compulsion. We do it because it's true. It's so good. And we want people to know. And help us to always remember that no matter how daunting the task may be or how foolish it may be, humanly speaking, it is not and it is never impossible for the power of the resurrected Jesus is with us and Jesus Christ is with his church right up until the end of time. Father, may that truth be not mere knowledge to us, but may we experience the greatness of what that means. In his name, amen.